Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central only on PBS. My name is Dave Hanrady, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 84 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's been a quite a big week so far in lots of different ways. We've all survived the hurricane. Oh, yeah. Ophelia. Which was downgraded to a storm at one point, I believe. We've got another storm on the way. Brian's storm is oh, happening. Are you serious? Yeah. Brian. Hey, remember what that sounded like? It sounded like this. <laughs> There we go. Great song. I love the drums on it. Good drums. So yeah, uh, I stayed in my house on the Monday. My electricity went at like half twelve in the day and then come back till like just before midnight. I was reading by candlelight at one point. This is Craig Fitzpatrick, by the way. (laughs) Hi, hello people. Reading by candlelight with Craig Fitzpatrick. (laughs) Eventually I found a radio that had like the right batteries that I could stick into it. And I listened to the Ray Darcy show for like two hours. Christ. Yeah. That's not Dear good. It wasn't even windy out. It just leaks up. Apparently. I watched a Netflix documentary called Long Shot, which I tweeted about. And if you haven't seen that documentary, it's 40 minutes long. comes directly recommended to us by our own Cole Morrigan, who is not here this week. And it's great. It's 40 minutes long, 20 minutes in. It has the single greatest reveal I have ever seen in a documentary. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. Don't look at anything about it. Just go and watch it if you've got Netflix. George mm-hmm. Morahan joins us. <laughs> do you have Netflix? I do, yeah, yeah. Check out Long Shot. It's great. I will. Then. They're not sponsoring the episode or anything. I just think it's really good. <laughs> That's long shot. 
Okay, well, we've a lot to talk about. Let's not waste any time. But uh, we will uh, do a proper welcome back to George. How are you, man? I'm great, yeah. It's Thanks good to have you back. It's we haven't really been good to have here you back, since yeah. uh, May, I believe. Since it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. It has been a while. And we're glad he could fill in for Cole Morrigan, who is currently at a wine tasting <laughs> in actually? I haven't heard it. Oh, yeah, he put, a, he put a photograph in the group chat of, like, uh, he was like, he goes, it's, uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. I think it was three o'clock in the afternoon at the time. I was going to joke that he was sacked from the pod for, like, being inebriated last week. But no, he's at a wine tasting now. Yeah, he's just on his holidays. Yeah. Me sideways in Lisbon. <laughs> He's earned it. Okay, yeah, so uh, before we get going, a couple of upcoming things. If you're a regular listen to the show, you'll know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it again. Saturday, the 4th of November in NUIG in Galway, No Encore will be closing out the National Student Radio Conference. Tickets are a tenor and open to the public, I believe. I think we're on at like about half four. Uh, keep an eye on our Twitter at No Encore Show for further details as and when they happen. But if you're in Galway on Saturday, the 4th of November, come and hang out with us. Also, if you're in Dublin on Thursday, December the 7th, come and hang out with us in the Workman's Club for the No Encore Quiz of the Year. It's Yay. the big one. Yay. I'm very excited about you it. You love a quiz. I fucking love a quiz. Uh, I quite love, love a quiz, too. Uh, Tickets are available? Yes. Ten euro if you're solo. Uh, it's 35 per team. Uh, and it should be great fun. Our glorious return to the Workman's as well. Yeah, it's a maximum yeah. of four, by the way, a table. And cool. uh, you can get your tickets from noencorequiz.eventbrite.ie. They're already selling. And we have limited space, so don't miss out. I know it's a couple of months away, and but you know, like people are already buying the like people are already doing their fucking Christmas cards, man. Christmas cards. I'm, I'm not going to name, name names. I'm not going to name names, but I'm aware of someone who I know in real life who told me wanted, wanted my address because she was like, "Oh, I'm going to send you a Christmas card," and I was like, "Sorry, what?" Like it's you, you know it's October. Right? I, I saw someone on Facebook that I'm friends with. Um, go well, yeah, of course I was friends with them. I wasn't just stalking them. Um, End of August. That was the well, old. That was the old. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of August, go. Well, that's my Christmas shopping sorted. <laughs> what? The one thing I would say. You is, mad? Yeah. You the mean. one thing I would say about sociopaths like that is uh, they kind of have a point ultimately because like once it gets to December and everyone else is like how hating their life, at least they're like, well, you know. I'm done. Yeah, I used to be kind of okay, but for the last I say three years, it's been Christmas Eve panic. Uh, it's, it's not good. It's, it's not really, good. really bad. It's not a good thing. So, yeah, uh, no encore in Galway and the quiz. Uh, the quiz on December the 7th in the Workman's is going to be an awful lot of fun, and I would encourage you all to come down and join us. It's going to be wild, as Cullum was saying. So <laughs> Cullum's having a wild time in yes. the wilds of Lisbon, and he was so busy, uh, I think due to the hurricane and all kinds of stuff, that he yeah. couldn't join us on Tuesday at the Tivoli Theatre when Craig and I, and a few others, Went to see The Horrors. Yeah, it was great. Best band in Britain, as we like to say on this show. Yeah, they, they now are. Now that Well Beats are, are defunct. Well, you know, this... close to uh, defunct. Don't, don't. I'm sorry. Hang I'm sorry. On, hang on. This gives me a great chance now because Craig missed an episode recently due to his rampant unprofessionalism. <laughs> and having slept through that episode, had you been here, you would have talked about The Horrors album. V. Yeah, yeah. And I presume you had done all your homework. Oh, 100%. And arrived at a review conclusion. My conclusion was I was going... I was leaning towards an 8.5. I really, really love it. I love the way they're going. Now, there was this thing where, like, the last record, I've seen people kind of going, oh, they, you know, they, it wasn't, didn't match up to past glories. This is like a return to form. I loved Luminous. I thought it was fantastic. And with every kind of album that's come out, I've, I've, they've been taking kind of great strides. And again, with this one, like, had that kind of industrial Gary Newman pop thing going on. Uh, they, they're also so good at writing, like, a really anthemic song at this point as well. Uh, yeah, fantastic record. They really are. It's one of my favourite ones of the year. So we went along to the gig in the Tivoli. Now, the Tivoli used to be a gig venue, and I've frequented it to see wrestling Yes, over the past year and a half or whatever. So I was like, what's it going to be like for a gig <laughs> venue? Now, we went along. There was two support acts. I missed the first one you saw, De Fontaine's kick off the evening. Yeah, it was like, they've got a kind of, the front man does a kind of Marky Smith thing. 
Um, but obviously not as good as Marky Smith. And the music sounded a bit like the Ramones, but not as good. But it was enjoyable because it was really <laughs> loud and they were into it. I I had fun. <laughs> right. You say it was really loud. The next band on, I think they're called Baba Naga or something? Yeah. They were just kind of like the stoner three-piece type they thing. Were you like John Wick? Uh, no, that's Baba Yaga. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah, very stoner, kind of like long, languidy kind of stuff. And it was fine. You've seen yeah. it all before. I didn't think the payoffs when the riffs arrived were big enough for they the kind of no. droney bits. Yeah, but it it, it it kind of set the scene though. I was like, okay, how will you know? What's the venue going to be like? What's the sound going to be like? And I was like, okay, cool. I th- I think they've nailed it. Mm. Then the horrors came on, and I must confess, I think that the sound was lacking for the horrors set. I don't know if it was the venue or if it was the horrors' own sound engineer who presumably knows what they're doing. And I talked to some people, and they were like, no, 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 Faris's vocals are traditionally quite low in the, in the, yeah. in the live mix. Now, I've seen the horrors three times now, and I'm and I'm trying to remember, is that the case? Maybe it is. Am I wrong? Um, I definitely noticed it way more than when I'd seen them previously. Uh, the vocals, there was kind of some issues with the bass as well. But as it progressed, definitely something kind of changed, or there was, there was changes made to the mix, and it massively improved. Um, it didn't kind of mar my enjoyment of the show whatsoever, but definitely for the first kind of 15 minutes, I was like, is this quite right? It was essentially like, you know, either an mp3 player or a pair of headphones that you would buy if you could turn it up that little bit louder. Sure. But, but because you couldn't turn it up that little bit louder, it was like, oh, damn. Now, I agree with Greg. It didn't mar my enjoyment. And they definitely ironed out the issues as it went along. But something was kind of lost, I thought. But they were great. Yeah. I thought they and were also, excellent. like, if they were a mime act, I'd still go and see them because I just love the kind of movements on stage they look and the whole production. The light show was like, phenomenal. Yeah, they look so incredible. They're still charismatic. Yeah. Their silhouettes are tremendous. Uh, but, I mean, like, it's interesting because, you know, the sound issues were clearly being felt. We were standing at the back of the room. We were actually standing in front of the sound desk, of all things. Yeah. And uh, I found it kind of interesting that a uh, frontman of a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> frontman of a popular Irish band. Yeah who was standing beside me at one point and had shoved his way in front of a friend of ours, I believe, actually. Mm. And uh, he took upon himself to turn around and bang the sound desk and motion with his fingers and with his own voice to tell the sound engineer to turn up the vocals. Now, I mean, you know, myself and this gentleman were united for once in our ultimate you know, end goal of what we wanted from yeah. life on that evening. However, it's a dirty little arrangement you had to do. Is well, I, I, listen, <laughs> I'm only I, joking. I just stood there yeah, yeah, yeah. and I gave him kind of a okay look. But ultimately, what I would say is, I don't care how rock and roll you are, that's not really the move, mate. No, I'd say the sound guy was like, Who are these dicks? It's not the move. It's not the <laughs> move. It's not really I mean, move, like, you know, I, I wanted it to be louder, but you know, you didn't see me fucking turn around. Like, I think they were coming from a good place of like, Oh, this isn't. We just want to hear, yeah, yeah, we just want to hear the horrors at their most optimum level. Yeah. And see, but, but this is the thing. I really enjoy the gig. They're one of my favorite bands. I think they're genuinely brilliant. I think they're very underrated. I mean, I know the critics are quite high on them at the moment and have been for a time. The fact that they're even playing natively, like, I know That's it's a I'm bit saying, of a, yeah. them road testing stuff and, you know, but it's a bit like they should have crossed over in a bigger way at this point. I think, I think so. Yeah. I, I hope that. What that do you put that down to? No, no, really, kind of radio singles, maybe, or like. But they've had. I mean, still, since still, still life, life, they've mm. had those songs. That I don't know. It's that requires some promotion. To it does, them. yeah. I, I, they can be as catchy as they want as well. I mean, the image is always going to put people off. But the image it's is great. It's, but well, you know, it's very ra- alternative. It's radically I different yeah. to how it was ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How much stock do you put in like that initial first impression? How bad that was. Uh, I mean, like, if it was, well, then the, the, that that speaks to a very fickle public because, I mean, like, that first record and then, yeah, the the characters, the imagery, 
not only has all that been so washed away by excellent songwriting, and also at the time I thought it was a bit of fun. It was a bit of fun. Yeah, there's like absolutely nothing. And like Strange House isn't a bad record by any stretch of imagination. It's just very vastly different to what they would go on to achieve. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, like maybe they just just don't care about playing the game. Like I I don't think they do. Even like the name, the horrors. It does. It's not really conducive to like top forty hits, is it? Well, what about the killers? Yeah, then again, you're dealing with a vast... Well, yeah, very, very different. <laughs> well, yeah, if, if you have massive hit singles that are mainstream-friendly and played on ads and shit, like, the name goes away, it doesn't mean anything. Yes, yeah, I suppose. But uh, we may never know why the horrors aren't a bigger name than they are, but we do appreciate them for what they do. And what I would say, with the with the sound issues in mind, I would like to just present the next <laughs> segment of the show by saying that I had the chance to sit down with Faris from the horrors, along with guitarist Joshua Hayward, before they played. Now, uh... The Tivoli Theatre is a strange beast because I've only been to it when it's hosted wrestling, as noted. So I was like, I don't even know where to go and talk to these guys. And you're, you know, you're on the fly, you're off the cuff. You knew where to get a fold-up chair, though. <laughs> Luckily, there wasn't one, and I could have used one. Do you know why? What? Yes, because I ended up sitting in between the two of them, like I was on a date with them, while holding a recorder in my hands. You now, loved it. In an ideal world, we would get them into the studio, but to be fair, they had to cancel their Belfast show, and it's, it's great that they even made it to Dublin in the first place. And I'm very, very glad that they agreed to talk to No Encore. Mm. So, all of which is to say, there are some sound issues in this next clip. I apologise profusely. I did my best, but I was dealing with a giant fan attached to the building, not a person, an actual, like, you know, loud, rumbling, clanking machine. And the elements. I was dealing with the elements, of which there were some. So we've we've done our very best here to try and make this as, you know optimum audio level as we can and ultimately i hope you enjoy it because i thought it was a really fun interview they're really cool guys and i also would put this up there as probably the single greatest ending to an interview i've ever been a part of so with that in mind here's me chatting to the horrors i think we first start, started talking about uh faris's brother who was a wrestler brother is wrestling that's how you started yeah. that's yeah, why you must be a big wrestling fan man i like wrestling we, yeah. we, we, we mentioned wrestling on the show so my favorite wrestler triple h probably not shameless not famous. He's good though. Yeah. But is he a bit of a like if you're Irish, is it a bit of a piss take? To support Seamus? Yeah. I guess so. He seems he used to be like a computer program. <laughs> and now he's like this massive, huge dude who kicks people in the face. Yeah. Which is strange. To kick people in the face. What's uh what's your brother's gimmick? Well, he had one to <laughs> Yeah, he had one that's now consigned to the scrap heap where he would Pretend to be a cowboy, throw them on the ground, and pretend to shoot them. That was the, and he had he's got lightning bolts on his trousers. <laughs> I, oh, I yeah. thought he had to be the Middle Eastern bandit. Yeah, yeah, well, well that, but it's a bit of a confused. <laughs> he's still developing his identity. <laughs> they still, they still do that. Though, yeah, right. Like, yeah. That'll never go out of style. Yeah. It's a, it's a horrible, strange business. The wrestling scene. No, I can imagine, but I can imagine there's good bits of it as well. But yeah, I guess there's probably a lot of people on steroids. Yeah, I mean, I'd say. Allegedly on steroids, but yeah. at the same time, I don't know how you look like some of those guys do without a little bit of help. Eat a yeah. chicken a day. One chicken a day. They're not, and they all die quite young, don't they? A lot of them do, yeah. Considering they've had extreme healthy lifestyles. And did athletics. you did you watch wrestling growing up? I, yeah, I used to love wrestling. Yeah, Tarek was always more into it than me, but yeah, I, I was always into. I was into WCW when I was at school. I had all the all the figures. Who was your favorite? Uh I don't know. Maybe my all-time favorite is probably Bret the Hitman Hart. Yeah. I reckon. Devil. Yeah. Or you, Ultimate Warrior. Did, did you and your brothers ever break? And you think? Oh, we broke. We, there's loads of videos of us wrestling <laughs> in the house and breaking things, like <laughs> bones and stuff. Oh no, I never broke my bones. Apart from my toes, which mangled. How? Football. 
Oh, really? So who's the star of the family now, if uh, your brother's going to be this big wrestling sensation? Well, he's in the band as well. Um, uh, you know, I think uh, you know, they all secretly look up to me. Uh, secretly they're heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's talk about the new record. If you look kind of at our old records, the process has changed quite a lot with each one, apart from for Luminous. Luminous and Skying were made in a similar way. But the others... Yeah, Strange House is written between tours and quite sort of, you know, a few days at a time and pieced together. Primary Colours was in Bath with Jeff Barrow, um, who was kind of recording demos. And in Skying and Luminous, we built our own studio. And, and by the time V came around, we'd had our own studio for about seven years and it got a bit claustrophobic. So, you know, I think... It was, I think it was naturally just, we couldn't face going in there anymore. It's, a, it's an interesting kind of team up with Paul Edward though, because he's known for these massive pop records, and I presume he's hugely in demand, so how did you guys end up with him? He's Paul, he's known for those records, but obviously he's been working a long time, and he's been doing loads of great stuff before his big pop hits, so he's from a very similar world to us, you know, especially in terms of experimentation, I mean, he's got every, every synth in existence, I think. I actually asked to work with Paul about 15 years ago. I think he must have just finally realised. Paul Wepworth turned up, when I was a student, turned up at my house at a party, passed out on my bed. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And he was just like sprayed in the studio every three days solid or something. He was like, that's Paul Wepworth. Like, he's a producer, isn't he? He works in the like, yeah, studio. I was like, can you give me a job as an engineer? I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. You're not going to ask him now. He's passed out. Before you forget, write him a note. So I wrote him this long note saying how good I was at making tea and all the rest of it. My number on it, hid it in his pants, uh, then carried on with the night. Five hours later, he comes up the stairs. Who the fuck is Josh? Why are you even touching my willy? And it's like, you're in my house, mate. Oh, sorry. Why? why? (laughs) House rules, you've got to allow full coverage. Um, Yeah, he never phoned me, weirdly. Uh, I think he thought we'd got too intimate too quickly. But you realise now was the time. Very good. So I, it was serious business in the studio then. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Friday night was we had Friday night was party night, which was the, the night we usually chose to work on a hologram, and consequently ended up about twenty five minutes long at one point. So we had to cut that down. But um, yeah, I think it took. I mean, it wasn't. I feel like because our, our records have a lot of layers. They sound terrible for about 90% of the process. And you're kind of freaking out, going, this sounds like shit. And then in the last couple of months, it all turns around. You put it together, you mix it properly, and you get everything sounding right. And the balance is so important. So, yeah, I think we wrote a lot of songs. And even just choosing which ones were the right ones and sort of deciding. It was quite late on that that the record actually took shape and we understood what it sounded like. I'm kind of curious if you guys pay attention to press because there's this narrative about the horrors. If you read like the reviews, it just seems like critics are always like delighted by the ascent, you know, the kind of the upward trajectory. Of Britain, the Britain loves a Britain loves an underdog, don't they? I guess so. Yeah. How's that work come World Cup time though? Well, I mean, yeah. Apart from in football, they don't love an underdog in football, but they might come round to love the national team more now that there's no hope of. Like, you know, there was never any hope, but now it's clear that there's no hope. Maybe it's like, you know... Anything to win, basically. Yeah, Yeah. that's the reality. But yeah, like, if you read those reviews, like, I mean, a lot of people are kind of saying, like, 
it's amazing to have a band that have managed to not fade away like this. Because I mean, like if you look at a band like Wild Beasts, who have an interest in splitting up, yeah, you know they're kind of uh, like on the road, I guess, maybe as long as you guys. And they kind of have said that they struggled, so they admit that they that they were struggling, and that they became this kind of rock band that they hated. Right. How, how have you guys managed to kind of do the evolution in the right way? Uh, you're really selfish about it. You should be selfish as a band, you should try and please yourself. I mean, everyone says they try and please themselves, but I don't know whether that's true or not. I think, um, I don't know. I don't know if we have many options, really. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'd be doing, really, otherwise. I think that would be, but I'm not really sure. I think, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think any of us intended on the horrors being our career. We definitely fell into it. I think we've kind of remembered what we enjoyed about the beginning. You know, maybe that's, but it's weird when you look at how many there aren't very many bands who are around from when we began. It's, yeah, I guess the life of a band is even shorter now. I mean, like, do you go back to a record like Strange House? It is ten years since that. Well, go back to it, like what? Like listen to just it. Just a damn listen to it. I don't listen to any of our records. Josh, uh, yeah, well, none of us listen to any of our records. Well, like it's it's weird. You make a record and you're working on it forever long, and you're completely in it. You know it completely, and you just had this thing, and you've listened to it. It's finally being mastered. You say like sign it off. Then it gets released, and then it becomes everyone's record. It's not really yours anymore. And like you, everyone listens to it in a completely different way to how you listen to it. Like it's, you know, I'd rather listen to music from the other side rather than inside. Yeah, so yeah, I've never. There's no ownership with music you make, and that's kind of the way it should be because you don't. Well, everyone has ownership on music that someone else has made. It's yeah. So well, everyone, yeah, related to this yeah. bit of their life. And yeah, that's exactly it. But you kind of want that's the cool thing when when someone has a completely personal meaning you know that's what actually makes them connect with things and if you're going expecting to dictate how that's how that's happening it's not realistic I don't know back to Paul for a second I mean like was he particularly challenging because I, I read that you you wrote like over 70 songs and stuff he was challenging yeah he was challenging in the sense that he I think he stopped us being so challenging I think we have a, we have a tendency to just to ditch things like before they've even begun I think I think what he was really good at was getting us to just hold off on judging things too early you know and I think and, and I think you have to I, I yeah I, t I think when you're being creative you have to just not you have to just suspend your judgment you can't be too eager to say what something is and discount it I think you have to see it through a little bit and yeah it worked I think for us yeah that that one thing was the biggest factor yeah, he's, he's quite weird in that he has that, but on the flip side, he's got quite short attention spans, so you get half an hour to do a part, and if you've not nailed it in half an hour, he's like, no, next, board. <laughs> so, like, this constant, like, scrambling to try and get everything done. It's quite, it became quite fun, because you end up being really instinctual, and you end up not thinking about anything, and just playing, and just doing what feels right. Yeah, yeah it's, it was a very quick move-in session. You described the record as fun. Like that's where I mean, does that come from? Kind of playing in front of a stadium crowd for Depeche Mode and like really going out your comfort zone. Like, what is the uh, what's the takeaway from that? I mean, stadium tours can be good or bad. They can be really not fun as well, you know, as we've found in the past. But that that tour was good, definitely. I mean, their crowd is great. Um, I I just I just think we're all quite immature and when it comes to like you know having fun 
you know, in the absence of fun, I think we, none of us would want to do it. So, you know, I just think we naturally we just end up making it making it fun out of necessity. I think otherwise, you know, if people get bored, they're gonna go off and do other things. So. Have you gotten advice from the likes of kind of Dave Kahn or Trent Reznor over the years? I know Reznor was champion of the band. Yeah, well, we played some shows with Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I've I've never really been a, a great believer in advice. I don't think anyone should listen to me, so I'm not going to listen to anyone else. I can't really imagine Trent doing that, being like, yeah. right, so this is how you can't do it. You want, you've got to go in like, yeah, you just put some massive muscular arm around your neck. Here's what you guys need to do. No, I don't think, I think people like him, I think he also probably recognises the, um, you know, how, how useless other people's advice is. Because, I mean, you end up just, you want to do your own thing. I just kind of mentioned those big names there, that whether you did or whether you didn't take away from them. He did share. Actually, I noticed you guys are on Instagram now. Yeah, it's, it's happened. You're doing it. You found the modern. Yeah, you got You can't live in the past. I noticed that you shared a photo from the past, though, with Jay Z. Yeah. And you said it was an awkward exchange. It was a little awkward, yeah. What happened there? Well, not a lot. I mean, it was just, um, there, there were a lot of pauses between um, sentences and. I guess none of us really knew quite what we were doing now or why. It was like, you know, uh, two two worlds that shouldn't have uh, encountered each other. Uh, he, he was all right. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not... You're assigned to his label. Yeah, no, you could have been nice. <laughs> yeah, he was nice. He was nice. I mean, to be honest, like, I'm not knocking Jay-Z because he was actually very accommodating to, like, what, what basically must have looked like a couple of freaks. But uh, I think... Yeah, whatever. I mean, yeah, he was fine. It was just uh, a little bit awkward. Uh, well, I guess lastly, as the guitar and background drains away, question for you. Um, would you do any soundtrack work in the future again after the Duke of Burgundy? I'm working on something at the moment. Josh is working on something as well. Yeah, uh, me and Tom doing? are doing a soundtrack to a film called Black Shore. It's going to be out next year sometime. Yeah. Weirdly, we both end up working on sci-fi and doing a sci-fi film, which is amazing. Have but, you seen the new Blade Runner? Yeah. We're doing. We're, we're, you've seen it. Yeah. You fucking prick. We're supposed to be doing a band outing. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch it again. What, when did you watch it? Uh, after we had rehearsal the other day. What? So after we discussed that we were all gonna go and watch the new Blade Runner, yeah, you was, decided to take it upon yourself to go and watch someone, it before and they the were like, And they said, "I'm not in the pub anymore. I'm going to see Blade Runner." And I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just go see Blade Runner." <laughs> Such a dick. It's so good. I, I want to watch it yeah, again. Someone invited me out the other day to go see the new Blade Runner, and I thought, "No, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm going to save it for the band outing." Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has a good point, and you should listen to her more often. Okay, uh, that's great. That's a betrayed, crestfallen <laughs> Faris Badwan. If you break up another band, say. <laughs> this is one I really don't want to break yeah. up. It's a shame it had to end like this. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was all in good fun. But to be fair, if you're listening, Josh, you should have waited for the band outing. He's going to go again. But now he knows how the film ends. And that and that, that's annoying. If you're with someone, if you're like, we're all going in blind, lads. Yeah. And one of you knows what's going to happen. Yeah, marriage. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope the horrors sort out their differences, and I hope that they still have a band outing someday together. And I hope that we get to talk to them again. They're so great. quaint. Band outing. I thought it was very cute. It's very nice. No one expected of them. Let's get to the news. Uh, let's catch up on something we talked about last week. We talked about Eminem's freestyle at the Black Air Entertainment Television Awards, which has sent the world into some turmoil. George, what did you think of it? Um, on Eminem. Okay. <laughs> okay. This okay. is very. Let's get serious. Nobody has anything original to say about Donald Trump. If you're going to say, if you're going to criticize him, you're going to say he's dangerous and incompetent, I'm honestly not interested because I'm on board. You yeah. know, you're preaching to the choir. You've, you don't have to convince me. 
Um, I will say the only good thing about it is Eminem is the kind of artist who probably does hold some sway with many Trump voters. I mean, he has that line at the end where he says he's drawing a line in the sand. I'd wager he's probably the only rapper who could say that line and have his fan base maybe split down the middle 50-50. Yeah, that's a, that's a point. Yeah. Um, so you think the only way people can now tackle Trump is like if ASAP Rocky had a, a freestyle called Four More Years. Like, oh, I'm all in with Trump. Do you know what I mean? Is that the only fresh no, way to that's, do it? I mean, <laughs> that's just trolling. I just I just <laughs> doubt the impact that this had. Yeah. Well, it had an impact on someone. Finn Staples, who we've talked about in the show before, released Big Fish Theory this year, of which we're all pretty big fans. He was not impressed at all, was he, Greg? No, he wasn't. Uh, it was trash. He can do better, which I think is succinctly kind of summing up our, our feelings on it when we discussed it from previous episode. He actually then kind of made an extended metaphor um, about spending money on Girl Scout cookies to support breast cancer awareness. He said, you can support the cause and still not like the cookie. I think that that really nails That's it. It's a very salient point. <laughs> it really is. Well, Vince Staples is known for being pretty sharp and succinct. Very much so. Uh, Pitchfork. Yes. Took him out of context, according to Vince, but I think this is all part of a larger thing that he was doing on Twitter. Uh, he basically said that him being hauled over the coals for saying this about Eminem, uh, you know, was white white supremacy for yeah so he'd said this at a talk in chicago for a kind of pitchfork series um he then had to take to twitter to kind of say uh, the eminem statement was all in good fun i like him and kim uh pitchfork took it out of context because they thirsty let me get these jokes off um so yeah he was like i'm just clowning around really i enjoyed yeah i enjoyed when he said beforehand though at the talk when he said my favorite thing about the eminem freestyle was the wall of dark-skinned black people behind him yeah we were all that was great (laughs) yeah because we 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 said the show we were like that's a little bit weird it is a bit weird, especially given the context of everything that's going on uh but this led vince Staples to go on twitter and for the next couple of days really he was at one point he was dealing with a lot of people who were kind of coming at him with just pure basis ignorance and he was slapping them down with very effortless and easy succession because he's making this kind of wider point that like I would agree with and I understand where Vince Staples is coming from I mean like when it comes to these things and I I, I would personally rate Vince Staples as a more interesting personality than Eminem very well, true. Very would you not at no? th- well at this point I want to hear like I'm more interested in his voice but I'd say overall more interesting personality if we take like, I mean, their like, career sp- I well Eminem has yeah. what 15 20 Certainly years now, on, yeah, so. we, we talked about how the Eminem thing is getting a bit tired I feel like he's been talked down a lot kind of uh, I think there's been a lot of revisionism about Eminem recently I feel like yeah. what I see of people talking about him on Twitter is mainly people just completely not not trashing him, but saying he was never that good, and I don't know. I'm I'm not really sure. I never really had a particular affinity for Eminem, and I'm not really sure if he did any of his songs. Kind of, I was buying those first two records when they came out, and I was I was very into it. I thought I thought it was really really good. And I you go back to a track like "The Way I Am," which I think actually holds up today, just as good as it did then. Yeah. The thing about Eminem is I you know his content can be you know so over the top that I think it misses the mark. But he can be a really good commentator as well. I would say ability-wise, what he can do with his voice is genuinely incredible. He's one of the greats. I mean, he definitely is. But I think it is that problem that a lot of artists have where he's just been famous for so long and he's been, you know, in a certain life that really him giving social commentary at this point is always going to be a bit clumsy or, do you know what I mean? He's not as hungry as he was. He's not... I don't know, quite as with it as he was, I guess. But Same problem that Marilyn Manson Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just kind of human nature. I mean, you think about when he was at his peak, the people who were trashing him most were the older generations, you yeah. know, giving him out, saying he was controversial. Well, 
you know, taking issue of his lyrics. And now it's the younger generations doing the same thing. So I think it's a very interesting role reversal there. But um, no, I completely agree with Vince. I thought it was complete trash. I mean, that line about balling up a fist <laughs> was particularly dreadful. Um, <laughs> there was some, yeah. And I think, I think the criticism he's coming for is uh, very valid. I mean, people are right when they say, you know, YG released a song called Fuck Donald Trump last year. And, you know, people have been speaking out um, long before Eminem decided to pipe up. But um, no, I think that holds true that he's the only kind of major rapper. Hey, who could who could forget Death Cab for Cutie's searing hot take, million dollar loan? Remember that? I li- kind of like that. It's no, I, I thought it was. I've subversive. never heard of that. I thought it was subversive. It's a really bad song. Subversive. Oh, it's Ben Gibbard versus Trump. It's so. Subversive. Oh man, it's so bad. <laughs> like it's so bad. It's not even. Like, it's actually well done. It's I think. not well done. It's I, totally tongue in cheek. Like I can't wait to never hear it. Yeah, I agree with you. George. Check it out. It's subversive. Anyway, see, this is the thing. I, I have tried to not talk about Donald fucking Trump on well, this show. Yeah, and so I guess we better double down. <laughs> um, Donald <laughs> Trump's daughter, Ivanka Trump, making uh, her who, no encore debut. <laughs> really, in fairness, so I feel a bit bad for her. She's really being dragged into this whole "my dad's the president." She thing. also shouldn't be in the position that she's in in terms it, of her. Career. No, she probably should have. Yeah, turned that I down. I feel the most sympathy for her on this story. Oh I, I yeah, don't think she should be dragged in for this. At all. Yeah, I mean she's, she seems she kind of been, somewhat she's, level-headed she's and been dragged through the. Uh, no, no, I mean she's she's trash. She's trash as well. Is she she's as a, well? She's a complete enabler. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah she's terrible. Yeah. She's an awful human being. Um, well, well, she's also a Nirvana fan. Yeah, her final <laughs> so, shirt has been dragged yeah. in a whack on this one. She's described her punk phase when she was younger, revealing that she cried for a whole day after the death of Kurt Cobain. Uh, Ivanka makes these releva- uh, revelations in her mother Ivana's new memoir, Raising Trump. That's dreadful. Um, <laughs> in one of Anka-focused fo- chapters, she writes, During my punk phase in the 90s, I was really into Nirvana. Uh, my wardrobe consisted, as we said, of ripped corduroy jeans and flannel shirts. Hey, whose doesn't? Um, she- <laughs> Mine still does. She also dyed her hair blue uh, after school one day. Her mom wasn't a fan. Um, then it wasn't too long after this that Kirk Cobain um, committed suicide. It was a shock and I was distraught. Mum had no idea who Kirk Cobain was and she sympathised only so much after 24 hours of crying inconsolably in my room alone. Major melodrama. Mum had to pull me out of there to go down to dinner. Imagine going down to that dinner. You got heroes eat. just died. You gotta eat. <laughs> you could, you a, do gotta a eat. A punk has to eat. My, I think my favourite part was she was like, you know, that she said uh, my mum wasn't a fan of the hair. So she took one look at me and immediately went on to the nearest drugstore to buy a $10 bottle or box of Nice and Easy. That <laughs> night, she forced me to dye my hair back to blonde. The colour she picked out was actually three shades lighter than my natural colour. And, and I have I've never, never looked, looked back. back. Yeah, that's punk. <laughs> punk as fuck. As are Nirvana, who aren't punk. But uh, no. they're not punk, come on. Well, they had the, they did have a punk ethos when they started. Okay. I mean, you could totally argue that grunge was just a... Do you uh, reckon... Uh, they weren't even really Do you reckon their punk is probably the most... Do you reckon it was their ethos that attracted uh, Ivana Trump? Tr- I think Trump? she was into the grassroots <laughs> DIY kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and obviously the roots in the hardcore scene of the 1980s. She's a Gazy fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, okay, look, I mean, this is one of the stories where it's just, it's such a fish in a barrel story, and there has been an, a lot of pieces already generated just destroying this poor woman. Uh, it goes back to the argument of, I mean, like, you know, look, politicians are allowed enjoy music. And she's not a politician, but you, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. like, like, people of this kind of nature who... Well, it's like, I'm not defending her, I think she's trash, but, but like, you know... Do you remember Johnny Marr, like, banned David Cameron from saying... We talked about this on the episode that you fucking missed. Oh, really? <laughs> it came up and... You haven't even heard the episode, have you? I have, I Come have. Come on, Craig. God. No, but anybody but, anybody can like music. Music is universal. That's one of the best things about it. But you know, um, 
Yeah, music is a lot like love. It's more than a feeling, as the Insane Clown Posse said on their song Miracles. And, and kids are passionate <laughs> about what they love, even if, you know, like Nirvana, it's way outside somebody like Ivanka Trump's life experience, you know. She can still latch onto that. It, um, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't blame kids for what they like. Really. Yeah. Look, she's, she's more than welcome to come on the show anytime if we can quiz her on her musical tastes. How's that? Will you ask the tough questions? Though? I will ask the tough questions. For sure. Okay. Okay. Someone who hasn't had to answer any tough questions in a long time because he's not relevant in the slightest, but nonetheless we are talking about him, is Dane Bowers of Another Level fame. And he also had that song with Victoria Beckham, I believe? Yeah. Out of your mind. I, I'm glad you segued into this because I was about to say, another person who's welcome on the show is Dane Bowers. <laughs> what? <laughs> Dane Bowers is not welcome on the show. Uh, and for good reason. Yeah, so no, he, um, he put out a Facebook post um, asking for... It was basically saying that he needs three very good-looking girls that would like to be in a video for Zero Gravity. Which is like—is that the name of the song? No, I think it's a nightclub that he DJs in in Dubai. I think <laughs> that's even better. I'm pretty sure that's what. it I is. I hope that's a pure guess because Him it totally Richard... is what it is. I mean, like, you know is it? I mean? No, well, I'm just guessing. I'm like, gonna, that uh, is, hang on, hang on. of course, I'm if it's not a up. song, it's a nightclub in Dubai. Here's what I'm gonna do. It's I'm him gonna... and Richard Keys every Friday. <laughs> I am going to Google uh, while Craig keeps talking here. I'm going to Google Zero Gravity Dubai. Yeah, see, see the happens. message continues. Would get a complimentary bed and fruit platter. What does that mean? What kind of labour laws <laughs> and do they drinks, etc., <laughs> and would need to shoot tomorrow at nine a.m. at he can't, really can't write. If you know anyone, tag away. Um, I'm not sure what complimentary bed and fruit platter means, but there, of course, then were responses um, from well, people. On, before who, we get to that, okay, zero zero gravity is oh, yeah. in fact a beach club in Dubai. Oh, amazing! <laughs> According to the, it's a day to night oasis. And I guess he's the resident DJ because, you know, that's where you end up in, in life, I suppose. I mean, for Dane Barris to come out with this very sexist, arguably misogynistic statement in the current climate. I mean, Do you think Dane the... Barris is aware of the current climate no, and not. how he needs no, to he navigate it? He's not. <laughs> yeah. He's not. Yeah, he got, he, got, he, he got a lot of responses. Someone said to him, it makes me sad that my two little daughters are growing up in a world where it's still totally acceptable for you to put this as your status. And uh, a scolded chastened Dane. Did not apologise. No, oh. Why? It's a Stuck modelling job. Yeah, it's a modelling job where that is exactly what I need. If I need something else, I would have put that. Nothing whatsoever wrong with being specific in what's needed. He was also accused of being shallow. Shallow? What the hell are you on about? It's for a certain thing, obviously. Would it be bad if I was shooting for a football video and said only people who are amazing at football, please? Okay, no. That, that's hilarious. Yeah. His example of using <laughs> mediocre child footballers is hilarious to me. <laughs> or should I please all of those soccer mums and give their average football kids a chance? Please! A lot of exclamation marks in this rant, and he doesn't seem to have gotten the message because uh, he put up a status update afterwards and he went, Ha! I've only just seen that my post yesterday got nearly 300 comments. That's hilarious. He Quite also, laughing face emoji as well. Yeah, I mean, like, like he's not, he, not going to climb down on this one. He also said... Uh, Tomorrow I get to spend a week with some seriously crazy girls. Gemma Warboys, you better keep that silly selfie stick at arm's length. Or maybe not, I guess. Shabs and bands from Dane. He said he's not moaning because he's gone to Mexico <laughs> on a holiday. Not a thing to complain about. Holiday, here I come, followed by a string of emojis. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put out there that uh, Dane Barris is a bit of a, a horrible man-child. Yeah. <laughs> needs a serious talking to. I mean, if you're doing a video and you need, like, models and you want them to look a certain way, I mean, what's the... 
what is the t- you just go through an agency I you suppose, go for an pick agency. out it's, it's funny, it's funny how it works at this I don't know like, but yeah it's funny how it works at this very low budget level <laughs> yeah it just, just, it just eventually filters down people. to you know random tag a mate Facebook message yeah yeah on his personal Facebook account. what I always think when you see like scenes in films or TV or whatever where it's specifically written into the script that the per- like the actor is really ugly or there's something you know made of the fact of their appearance or being the, awful yeah, massive, I always yeah. feel awful about like how is that casting and people yeah. are going along just being like yeah I'm ugly I did, that always just makes me sad character actors are you know they got tough skin yeah you have to you have to <laughs> <laughs> don't I know it <laughs> finally in the news this week uh, a very brief Frank Ocean update and quite a sad one actually yeah. uh, he has won the libel suit that his father filed against him earlier this year uh, one of the attorneys confirmed this to Pitchfork the lawsuit was in response to Frank's 2016 Tumblr post that described his father using a gay slur when Frank was a child which his father then claimed cost him future financial opportunities and more and he was seeking 14 and a half million dollars in damages uh, not a lot of details in this except for the fact that it's quoted as being said it was a super sad case and I'm sorry that my client had to go through this I'm glad we could bring closure so you know I mean I guess good for Frank to move on and maybe it's good that he's feeling blue because he's so good at getting to the raw heart and emotion when it comes to him writing his next record yeah, yeah. you wouldn't wish this on anybody though would and you? also like I'm always like perplexed about these like sums that they're looking for 14.5 million dollars in damages for like future financial opportunities like, is his dad Billy Ocean or something he's not even making that I've interviewed Billy Ocean. <laughs> Have you? Yeah. Well, let me get it a quickie. A quickie for Opera. Yeah, 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 yeah. How yeah. was it? Great. Oh, awesome. The quickie was brilliant because you get amazing. just like amazing stars of yesteryear and they uh, have great stories. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. The, quick, the quickie for anyone not in the loop, uh, Hopper's Magazine had a section called the quickie yeah, years ago for a long time actually and it was just 10 template questions, really basic ones like uh, where are you now and what are you doing? What was the first record you ever bought? What song was I played at your funeral? What was the drunkest you've ever been? That kind of stuff, you know, really. And, like, you know, initially you'd be like, oh, really? Like, I'm interviewing this person and I'm asking them this shit. But what happened is you'd always be interviewing someone who's, like, doing the middle of a fucking press tour. And so they're getting the same questions over and over and over and over and over again about their new album. And they're just like, what, really? These are the questions? And not only that, but they have amazing backstories that they just pull on. And I've lost count of the amount of people who are like, that has been a phenomenal interview. Yeah. Almost every time. Yeah. And it was obviously a little box in the magazine. He just wanted to write pages. But anyway. Did I ask Billy Ocean what he does when the going gets tough? You bet I did. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And he what does he do? Yeah. He said, I do like everybody else does. The tough get going. Which doesn't make romantic <laughs> no, sense. I get going. But I just, I just liked hearing it come out of his mouth. I wonder how many times he's been asked that, honestly. Oh, listen, I wasn't missing my chance. Nah. I interviewed one of Hall and Oates. One of Hall and Oates in the Yeah, I interviewed well. Sparks. Was Oates? That was when was I, Oates? Okay. I learned that Sparks, back in the day, used to own an ice cream van and the two of them would drive around. <laughs> Can you imagine Ron Mayall serving ice cream Incredible, to incredible. It would but be was, scarred yeah. for life. When it would be like, Chilling. Ron Mayall and then like the child catcher. Those would be the two worst <laughs> people selling ice cream. When John Oates answered the phone it would have been about like oh yeah 12 o'clock american time because it's about five o'clock here that's how uh time differences work listeners and i think i was in a bad mood or whatever the fuck because of course i was and guy answers the phone and he goes good morning and i was like oh it's, it's all gonna be okay yeah everything's gonna be okay he just sends like a ray of sunshine beaming through the phone yeah uh yeah the quickie always yielded a lot of good stuff uh I, including the guy from holy fuck who uh, told me that he used to be a clown thus fulfilling my lifelong dream to interview a professional clown, clown yeah. Wait, what? whoa okay i need to look i need to research that <laughs> <laughs> well you can if you right dig out an old hot press magazine yeah, okay. yeah. where you get one sentence answer because you know word counts more important for whatever shite irish band that they want to pedal that week okay That's hot press magazine <laughs> <laughs> in, in stores now <laughs> Okay, well, listen, I have to get serious here for a second, unfortunately, guys. I'm sorry, but, um, okay. 
On Friday the 13th of October, at approximately 20 past 5 in the afternoon, our good friend, Dr. Magicoco, chose to prescribe for us a previously unheard level of aural pain, the like of which remains difficult to process and properly comprehend. Said prescription came in the form of Will Smith, he of gentle, parent-approved rap adventures, and his truly extraordinary comeback EDM single, Get Lit. Several hours later, I threw up. The following day, while celebrating the 30th anniversary of Clive Barker's classic horror Hellraiser, by viewing the film in a state of groggy convalescence, my mind drifted away from the surreal dread and terror upon the screen to a strobe light flecked dance floor, where doomed souls wandered hopelessly in limbo as a powerful and highly questionable West Indies-tinged voice spoke of flames. It was then, dear listener, that I understood what true panic, dismay, and indeed horror really was. Doug Bradley and his face full of pins proved no match when compared directly to this living nightmare, and I wondered if Clive Barker himself was presently feeling conflicting, disturbing emotions as the former fresh prince cried, screamed, and pitch-shifted his way around the very earth itself, yielding for nobody, a harbinger of sonic chaos, wrecking irreparable havoc as he writhed in the cruel bloom of his apocalyptically dreadful siren song. I still hear this song in my dreams, and in the unforgiving, sobering light of daybreak. I am forever changed. My only hope with this broadcast is to warn you, to prepare you for tomorrow. Only there is no tomorrow, just this chilling moment. We have been lit, and we must now burn. You shouldn't write audiobooks. <laughs> Thanks, man. This is Will Smith. <laughs> I made a beat to help you light it up. That was Will Smith. That was Will Smith. And get lit. I think what Dave meant to say is we ain't party Megatrons. (laughs) (laughs) We transform, we get lit. (laughs) In a cod Jamaican accent, of course. Now, so, okay, like, let's... I'm glad he didn't do the cod Jamaican accent. (laughs) Yeah, listen, there there are some barriers I won't cross. Uh, Okay, listen, so I listened to this last week. (laughs) And I've listened to it for almost a week. You only listened to it last night for the first time. Last night? And, yeah, oh, my God. I feel like in Where my life begin? now, there's a before I heard Get Lit and an after. And oh, yeah, 100%. Just, it changes everything. Can I just say, a quick aside, I'm really glad that DJ Jazzy Jeff is expanding his horizons, you know, moving into And how? He <laughs> <laughs> needs to stay relevant. I really don't know where to start with this, and Craig quipped that it could be an entire episode, and it could be, so yeah. we'll try and not talk about this for 25 minutes. And what I will say is that I think it's genuinely the worst song I've ever heard. Uh, well, not, I mean, I, that, okay, that, that sentence is so said, so hyperbolic. I think it's the worst song I've heard in a long time that isn't a novelty song. I think it's a parody of the worst song it I've is, ever heard. It is fascinatingly bad. Like, it really is. Like, this this is genuinely intriguing because I can't stop listening to it's it. It's hypnotic. I listened to it on repeat last night for about half an hour. Yeah, so did I. I'm listening I... to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I had it on my headphones, right? And I put my headphones into club mode. Yeah. So what does that do? What does that do? Um, it means that you are absolutely uh, disgusted with everything and everyone around you, but mostly, mostly just yourself. Wow, uh, we have the technology. We have that technology. That's club yeah, mode, yeah. baby. So yeah, at one point in club mode, when when, when the banging started, I thought I was going to have a fucking aneurysm. There's so much going on in this song. I like it, it doesn't even just you know like qualify as a bad EDM track. This is fascinating. I've, I've used the word fascinating. This is. I, I, mind-bendingly bad. Am I right in thinking this is his first song in a while? This is his first song since 2005's <laughs> Switch. Oh, man, I remember Switch. <laughs> you remember that? Hey, I remember that. Hey, oh, hey. Yeah, there was... 
No, Switch. Yeah, I remember Switch. <laughs> so in 2017, when Will, Will Smith is helping Kevin James get laid, they listen to Get Lit now. Is that <laughs> it? Is that how the world has changed? There's just so much to talk about. Okay, let's... let's the, the West Indies accent... Is, is he doing his character from the film Concussion? I, I think he was he, Nigerian in that. I think. I'm sorry to everyone I've just offended, but mostly me. <laughs> I think he like bumped into Drake at the premiere of like Collateral Beauty or something. He's like, I better check out this guy's music, and then he's like, I can do that. <laughs> Are we sure this is an elaborate performance art by his son Jaden? This is the thing. I mean, the kids. What do you think the kids made it? Is? What do you think? The, yeah, the kids are like, yeah, dad, go for it. Will know? Smith's always been a very strange guy. <laughs> Stranger than people kind of give him credit for, I think. Yeah, but we're very much into throwing shit at the wild territory here. <laughs> well, this is everything. This is like this is this is everything. Put it on the kitchen sink at the wall. This is everything. No encore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like it's it's astounding, right? Like it's not just me. Like I, I was like, I, this is genuinely yeah, like, like traumatic. I think we can narrow down the discussion. Do you have favorite lyrics? Oh. oh, the Megatron stuff, yeah. Yeah, the Megatron, Megatron stuff is great. Yeah. yeah, the first sign, I will say, I see you there smoking from your unseen fire. I picture Will Smith leering at some woman <laughs> who's like smoking an, un- an unseen uh, vape. I, I presume, yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's <laughs> she's just vaping. It's an e-cigarette room, yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. My army, we like to party, we smart and artsy and we get lit. See, I don't like the fact he's referring to Miami because that was a great song. No, my, my army. <laughs> oh, does he the not Will say? Will Smith army. I think he says Miami at some point, no? I'm sure Maybe. He he's a self-referential Maybe guy. Maybe I was just pining for better days. And another one, my people, good before evil, big Will is equal. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, it's... It's, it's just mad libs. It gets to a point. But it gets to a point where like there's been a minute left and you're thinking, well, I've heard everything that the song can do, right? No, you haven't. Because you just bust out some other kind of weird crescendo... And it's, it's chaos. This is this song is chaotic. It's not even zeitgeist chasing. Because it sounds like five years ago. It sounds like... More what? than five years ago, I think. Yeah, five years ago. Well, I think the Jamaican when, when, when stuff is very on trend. It's no? very David Guetta Skrillex. Yeah, it's very... 20, it's very that era. Summer of 2011. The good old days. <laughs> like, but it's just... Why? Why? Like, why? How did this escape the studio? And also, it hasn't even had a big reaction. Like, I mean, like, I, I, I put up, like, two separate tweets. On, on, on. There have to be think pieces about this well, by Vice now. Vice had a piece about it, like, immediately. But I, I don't think anyone bothered. It came out, like, late on a Friday. And yeah. everyone's gone home for the weekend. <laughs> for all the trash day. And they were just like, yeah. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, it's good day to bury bad news. So, <laughs> but it's just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the end goal here. Like, what? Why? Why, yeah. why would you do this? Why? It's to make something worse than suicide. The play. goal is to usher in the Willenaissance, I believe. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Craig, can you, can you trademark that term? <laughs> We've had. A pretty, I'm let's sure down, he already does. You know he already does. We had the Willenium. Craig, the final <laughs> word in this, please go. Because yeah, I'm curious because you've only had twelve hours, with yeah. this, or less, or more. I don't know. It's not lit. Is my takeaway? It's not actually as lit as he thinks it is. It's not lit at all. <laughs> Could it transform and get lit? <laughs> It's a damn squib. <laughs> okay, well, let's throw some Tears for Fears on that fire. This is Tears for Fears. That's I Love You But I'm Lost. It's by Tears for Fears. It's heading up, I guess, at Greatest Hits or something that they're putting out soon. Yeah, that's exactly it. And yeah. it sounds 
what you'd expect it to sound like, I guess. It also sounds very dated and not really on trend, but I don't know how... They're, not, they're certainly not chasing it as hard as Will Smith, because no one is. Well, <laughs> I saw some fans of Tears for Fears actually thinking this wasn't what they would expect, because I guess I don't know much about Tears for Fears, but they had a bit of substance, and maybe they weren't always... Shout ch- is a fucking yeah, they classic. Yeah, they weren't James Gordon version, chasing yeah. that pop oh, stop, thing. Stop. <laughs> as you say, this is a very, like, it wants to kind of jostle for a position with, you know, co-play dance anthemic songs. And it's actually fine. Like, I think it's well put together. It's not obnoxious. A uh, certain level of craft to it. I can listen to it. It's grand, but I don't think I need to hear it ever again. I'd agree with all that. I think it gives itself away too soon as well. Sure. Like it, you're pretty much already in that chorus, and I know that's also a facet of modern music production, but it's just a bit too, like, you know, the song could breathe a bit more. Uh, I think Shout's a classic. Uh, I think Mad World is a good song, obviously. Um, yeah. Head Over Heels, that then? That's a really good tune. Uh, so They can definitely do this kind of stuff with a lot more depth. And I think even in the statement, or like when they were releasing this, there, there's going to be another song on The Greatest Hits, so that, that's a newie as well. And they were like, well, the other one's um, a lot more kind of uh, thought-provoking and emotional. I think they were kind of like saying to the fans, so this is just us trying to write a you know, hit. I don't know. It yeah, seems that they I mean, they were aware this is a bit frivolous. When you get new tracks as part of a greatest hits, they're very rarely good. Very rarely yeah. good. I, I can't really think of an instance to hand where I've been like, "Oh, that's that." You know, that could be on the greatest hits if it was twenty years later. Like it's just kind of like, it's just you know, here we are and we're still doing shit, and this is the end of it. I'm into it. Okay. I, really, I really like it. Okay. Um, it's recognizably them. You're never. It's very comfortable. You're yeah. never in un- uncharted territory. You know where the song is going to go at all times, but it's kind of reassuring in the way. I mean, you hear that. 80s arena pop rock kind of stuff sounds a bit like you know let's dance or something like that and yeah I mean it's a perfectly diverting way to spend four minutes yeah like I suppose you know when there's so many songs that sound like this and they're cribbing from 80s type stuff I suppose like considering they they were doing it in the 80s (laughs) they they should get a total pass like of course they should be doing stuff like this so yeah when I'm saying like maybe it's a bit redundant well that's unfair because they've just been influential maybe yeah Um, it's a good song they're like they're a decent outfit and you know Good on them, I suppose. Yeah, it's great. It's grand. It's good. I mean, like, like it's not life changing. I will always have a soft spot for bands who just sound like themselves. You know, sure, yeah. Beach House. They found you know they do the same thing every time. Slayer. And I'm I'm fine with it. If you have a niche, the best. If you have a plow, if you want to, you know, plow that far over twenty, twenty-five years, that's fine. Yeah, do your own thing. Okay, uh, I guess thematically the song of the week this week is kind of opening up in a weird, strange way because here's something that also calls back to a track from a long time ago. John Carpenter's Halloween, which is one of the films that you should definitely have if you're doing some kind of weird Halloween film, scary movie, watch marathon thing this Halloween. It's a classic, Craig, do you agree? Yes, it's great, I love it. Wonderful film. And uh, one of the reasons why the film is wonderful and still holds up is because of the music. That was created mm-hmm. by John Carpenter himself because the man's a fucking genius. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross... My boys of Nine Inch Nails fame and soundtracks fame have offered <laughs> up their boys. own take. My Impartial boys, to the end. <laughs> my boys uh, have offered up their own take on the Halloween theme. This is Halloween theme. We had a little chat about John Carpenter there while that song was playing, listener, and you don't get to hear it. But you did get to hear this. It was fascinating stuff. (laughs) Alan might put it at the end. He might. Who knows? So here's the thing. Um, 
I'm a big fan, as we know, of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I love Halloween. I love the Halloween theme. Yeah. So surely, open goal, right? Well, I, I don't uh, think this is that great. No, <laughs> not that great. Uh, no, I mean it's a bit. Why? I know this is for a, no, no, like a, this why? is for an actual. No, no, you're right. Yeah, it, this is so unnecessary. Yeah, uh, what's, what's it for? What's like well, there's the a collection of reinterpretations of a lot of his music coming so out. So they were asked album. to do it, I guess, and okay. their fans. And even Carpenter himself has come out and said, "Yeah, oh, they've really nailed it." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, the th- the original theme is so perfectly formed and you know atmospheric and scene setting. It just doesn't need any. This reminded me of when, like, back in the days of Napster, you'd be trying to download a song." And it'd take like an hour and a half, and then you'd realize that it was some terrible cover of it, and you'd be like devastated. Showing your age that, there. like that disappointment. That for me, it was just like, oh no, this is like the slightly dodgy version that I don't want. <laughs> um, it's recognizably Resna and Finch, isn't it? Yeah. it wouldn't sound out of place on one of their Fincher Ross. Uh, Ross, uh, uh, what did I say? Atticus Ross, you, you Atticus, fin- Atticus Finch, Atticus Finch, <laughs> Finch oh yeah. God. To kill a mockingbird sensation. I am me. Any time I hear Atticus, I'm just like, yeah. Trent Reznor and Gregory Peck. It's a, <laughs> that I would love. Atticus Ross. <laughs> I was thinking, I was looking at my notes there. I was like, that doesn't look right. But it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of place on one of their Fincher soundtracks. Sure. There you go. <laughs> Saved it. Go. Uh, <laughs> melody is really drawn, drawn out, really strung out. Create that, creates an atmosphere, and then it's kind of contracted right in the middle with rushing percussion, and it just becomes really propulsive midway through and that's when it kind of so that's when it kind of really kicks in and it's it starts like, getting good yeah, towards, it takes like four minutes to warm up yeah and towards the end you're like oh this is going places and then it kind of ends and you're like oh shit I would rather have just like an explosion yeah, and really do something time. crazy with it it like, builds yeah. up with like some dread and then you get like their take on the Halloween theme so just they're following those notes I guess on a different synth or whatever and then it does crescendo into this really fucking like aggressive thing which you would expect from them and then i mean for me i went it went a bit house dj like it it just went a bit like okay i mean yeah i suppose this is all right and then by the end of it, it just stops dead so it's it's three it's three com- like it's very like compartmentalized and i'm not sure in the most effective way in fairness to them like i think it was an impossible task it was like, what are you gonna do it was yeah, yeah completely <laughs> like i mean like absolutely and like if these two can't fucking turn it into like you know some kind of like is it as good as the original because it's i guess it's not about that it's it's about promotion and it's 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 a cool hookup and i you know i like it i just don't think it's anything special well they just have that one trick that they do i mean what's their most famous song you'd say it's Paul the mountain king right from the social network or hand covers bruise from social network yeah 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 they all have that kind of you know, they have that pain by numbers kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Dave is glowering at you. As no, you. <laughs> no, no. I really, I really love them, but they, they do kind of have a tried and tested method. Like my favorite. Remember when we? I don't know if we were actually there together, but we saw Nine Inch Nails in Belfast. Yes, I was there, and they played. I forget what that song is from the Girl the Dragon Tattoo soundtrack. That's literally my fam- favorite. Uh, oh yes, yeah. Fuck. Resident uh, song of all time. Yeah, I know. It's, what if we could? What if we could? Yeah, it is, and it's beautiful. Anyway, yeah, beautiful piece of music. When it gets going, it's really good, but it takes a while, and then it comes in with all this distortion and all these little kind of weird asides that kind of you know keep you engaged as well. And I would say I really like the second half, but it does it does take a while. That's fair. Uh, yeah, what if we could is a magnificent piece of work. Uh, another band back from uh, hiatus, really back from hibernation. I wasn't expecting to see this name crop up, but I was very happy too because I'm a huge fan. I'm one of those weirdos who prefers a perfect circle. Which oh is my god! Sorry, go on. <laughs> which is Maynard James, Maynard James Keenan's side project to Tool. To Tool, go on. They're back. <laughs> they have a new album coming out next year, and this is the first taste of it. It's called The Doom.
I should note that I've got a very good friend called David O'Brien, and he loves Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and he was annoyed with me that I didn't love the Halloween theme. But that's fine, because, you know, we can all be a bit different. But I think he got his revenge on me, guys, when this song came out, and I was all hype about it. And he was like, uh, this sounds like a really dodgy Metallica song. I keep expecting James Hetfield to come in with some kind of, ooh, like at some point. <laughs> and doing this, he fucking ruined the song for me, because I really liked the song, and Aww. I still like the song, but I can't listen to it now without laughing. So thanks, Dave. Come up and served. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was kind of weak sauce as well. It did feel... I wasn't thinking Metallica, but... I don't know, it just seemed very limp. And again, we're kind of into, like, the social commentary stuff, and I don't think it was, you know, that deftly handled. I Like, I might prefer you don't think Death lines, Cab for Cutie. You don't think lines like, <laughs> Behold the new Christ, behold the same old horde, are deft? Okay, and, okay. May not James Keenan. He's obsessed with Christ. <laughs> But he sound, when he's not making wine, <laughs> he sounds like he slings in very stark kind of moralist terms, and he sounds like he's some kind of dowager, you know, at the front of some Victorian charity, you know, yeah. to get people out of the workhouse and proselytize them. I'm loving this. Yeah, I'm loving Continue this. With the metaphor. Yeah. I just think, I'm just thinking. Okay, it's it's though it's that what I've just described plus you know any kind of random metal track that you heard on a, a Madden 2003 soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, I like it. I do like it. They haven't released anything for a long time, right? They, oh, they, they did a song a couple of years ago. Yeah, called Buying Down, and it was part but of their greatest hits. Prior to that, I remember them doing a kind of covers album, which I thought... That was in 2004, it was called Emotive. I didn't think the covers worked. And they again, did Imagine they did Imagine by John Lennon on that. They did uh, Peace, When Love the Levy Breaks, which I thought, what are yeah, you doing, lads? They did Peace, Love yeah. and Understanding. Yeah. Um, um, what's the Marvin Gaye one that everyone loves? What's going on? They did What's Going On, and yeah. it's really good. And yeah, that album was kind of odds and ends and covers. Sorry, a perfect circle covered What's Going On. Yes. It's great. Like the whole album or the song? No, 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 no the song. The song it's it's lovely. Song. I'd love to hear a perfect circle of getting high in the friendly sky. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you will on this new record. Yeah, but the, a perfect circle have always kind of had that forever sounding 2003 thing about them. Show your workings for preferring them to Tool. Okay, right, I can't. The glory I can't tool, because, yeah. because it, like, like, Tool fans get so incensed when I, when I say this kind of thing. Uh, ultimately, I just prefer the immediacy of their songs more than the long, drawn-out Tool ones. I love Tool. I think Tool are great. I don't think we're ever getting a new album, by the way. But uh, yeah, probably not. I think they're fantastic. When was their last one? 2006. Yeah. 10,000 Days. I, I remember that. And, 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 that and it's been it 10,000 Days since yeah. Uh, But yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, I love Perfect Circles Immediacy. I love that they do sound like kind of a new metal band that are just like, no, no, we're going to hang on. And like, they don't have the most elegant songwriting. And songs like Passive and, you know, fucking The Outsider aren't but then actually no that's not fair because they do have that mixed in between and i think three libras which is one of my 10 favorite songs of all time by anybody i think that's one of the most beautiful songs anyone has ever written so it depends what maynard wants to do i suppose i yeah. I, I just i love them they remind me of a certain time uh in my life and i, I always go back there when i hear them they're a very wintry band for me you know like even well, yeah like oh, they're, they're not yeah, full of summer jams <laughs> that's a perfect description because there's a moment in it like around the middle eight where it just starts this kind of glistening what have I written here? <laughs> it says here, about here, about it's halfway glistening. through. There's a lovely bit where it's nice and glistening. There you ah. go. <laughs> okay. Craig. Um, am I, what am I, like, what am I doing? Put a, a final word. Finalizing. <laughs> Why yeah. do I have to keep summing it up? Okay. <laughs> Craig's final thought. All right. My final thought is that actually Tears for Fears sound more relevant at this point. <sighs> Finally, in Songs of the Week this week, we welcome back MGMT. They sound like this.
MGMT were one of those bands, the song by the way is called Little Dark Age. One of those bands that I didn't really love, but everyone got swept up in the oracular, spectacular hype, didn't we? Everyone liked Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Time to Pretend back There's in the There's three songs that were just everywhere. Well, Time to Pretend. Kids. And... and- Electric Field? Electric, Electric Field, yeah. 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 Those three songs were... You couldn't walk down the fucking street. You couldn't, no. And they were good songs. They were good songs. Were good. I don't know why they got so big, though. Why did they hit so hard? I mean, they were very catchy songs. And then it quickly became apparent that they weren't sure why they became big. And they were very kind of like, what are we going for? Oh, they didn't this, want... This is 2008, right? Yes. Were they New Rave adjacent, would you say? No. I wouldn't... I like I know that's a, well, that's a made-up scene. No, I, like I know. Sense, but yeah. they were kind of... <laughs> I mean, it was a happening... transatlantic this... version of what was happening in the enemy at that time. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I can see what you're saying. But it, it, it seemed like they quickly realized themselves that they didn't like the band that the public had decided they were. Mm. Um, so I remember the second album being quite psychedelic and there was no real kind of like, here's your chart songs on it. They tried to be Flaming Lips, right? Yeah. And like, they always had a bit of talent, but maybe it was just like, do they really have the greatest of ideas or do, do, do they even know what they're going for? We haven't heard anything from them now for like four years. I, I didn't. I think it was an eponymous album last time around. I didn't really check much on it. It was like one or two songs I think we, I might have I caught. I was like, oh yeah, that, they sound all right, but... Yeah, it felt like their time was over. Yeah. And I guess this is second chance number two, maybe? Um, yeah. yeah I, feel seen, like, I feel like they should have done this. I've seen a lot yeah. of people praising this one, saying that it's very interesting, it's very complex, it's very all this kind of stuff. I was bored. I I was... I was uh, about 30 seconds in, I was like, what are they doing here? Got to the chorus, and I was like, I'm all in. This is great. Really? Yeah, I'm, I me think too. it's a me great too. song. I really yeah. liked it. A great song. It's got a weird cyborg goth synth thing going on, which I'm um, all about. Um, I love the darkness in it. Uh, not the band. Um, the feeling. <laughs> and yeah, I the feeling another band. Also, yeah, also <laughs> the band. The feeling. Well, what was their big song? Was it I Love Give It When You... Give me a song and I'll sing it. You call, it. but you never, never call it at all. all. Hang on. That song is so bad, I feel like people need to hear it again. I'm not sorry for playing The Feeling. I saw them live. Really bad. Like I, one, I like them. That's, um, that's fine. Yeah, a band that like are so fed alike they should be given away with copies of... like. Wasn't one of them married to Sophie Ellis-Bexter? I believe that might be correct. Yeah. Oh, yes. wow. Well, that's that, that kind of knowledge that's going to win me the quiz. Must be really awkward. Yeah, the quiz, by the way. Uh, December 7th. Um, <laughs> so, that's kind of knowledge that I... That's um, Hot Press Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Hotpress.com. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's get back to MGMT. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say was, it must be really awkward for the guy who's married Sophie Ellis-Bexter to be like, oh yeah, you, you had that great song, and then some other really good songs, and I was in The Feeling. <laughs> As for MGMT, yes. um, I, no, it just didn't work for me. Oh, I love it's not this. bad. I There's a like, certain mood to it. I was like, again, that kind of very gothic thing, it just yeah. sucked me in entirely. I was like, Bowie's like station to station era type stuff. There was Whoa, something fucking very okay. No, 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 no. Okay. I'm talking about the mood. I'm not talking about the quality level. No, Sorry. No, no. I'm I'm not, not, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't, you know. <laughs> We're going to talk Bowie comparisons when we get to the album review. So like, let's just be careful. <laughs> this isn't no motoric kind of rip off. This, this just feels like a kind of a, a photo negative of like time to pretend for me. 
and I've, it kind of really works. I feel it like feels like a minor key version of what you've already best spoken stuff. about, like this, you know, button-up Victorian thing going on. I, I like, I definitely saw it in this as well. I, just, I don't know, it just really crept up on me. It's a great chorus as well. Yeah, I'm gonna go home and listen to it more. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's my song of the week. I think. Fair enough. Mm. And most unexpected comeback. I thought they were done. I thought they were yeah. flashing the pan. That first album was great. Let's enjoy the memories. You know. Wait, your song of the week isn't Get Lit by Will Smith. (laughs) That's my song of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, let's get to our album of the week. And now, album of the week doesn't necessarily mean that we love it or hate it. It's just our album of the week, you know? It's just the best. That's how it works. She is taking to the stage tonight, if you're listening to the podcast on Friday when we drop it, or on Saturday, because she's doing two nights in the Olympia. Annie Clark, alias St. Vincent, is back with her fifth record. The critics are all in a tizzy. It's called Mass Seduction, and it sounds like this. Pills to sleep, pills, pills, pills every day of the week. Pills to walk, pills to think, pills, pills, pills for the family. I spent a year suspended in air, my mind on the gap, my head on. was pills from mass seduction not mass education as i've seen some thank places. you i've seen but some places I, even I like run keep, their review with mass education it keeps, every time i look at it i think mass education maybe you're meant to my google docs autocorrects it to mass education oh, all go. one word which i don't know why that's in the dictionary. okay let's yeah. talk about st vincent first of all which one of you guys wants to give a backstory on st vincent um hailing from texas based in new york for a long time this is her fifth uh, annie clark's kind of fifth album under the st vincent moniker uh, aside from the the record david she did burn, with david yeah, Byrne. Yeah. um and i mean she's kind of been like an indie darling for a long time maybe on the around the last record i certainly felt like she there was a step up there and certainly a number of things happened there was like a bit of an image change um she was one of the artists who performed at nirvana's kind of rock and roll hall of fame induction and people were just like wow she's a bit of a guitar hero and she's i think there's been a lot of feeling around annie clark for a while that she could be we've been losing a lot of kind of alt heroes of late and i think everyone is hoping that she can now take up that mantle and just become one of these artists that is doing innovative things whilst also crossing over. Maybe, so there's a lot of anticipation. Well, okay, well, I, mean, I was going to hold off on this until we got further into the review, but what I will say is the gigs, if anyone's going to it, I'm not going to spoil, but ultimately I've seen, she played in England this week in London or whatever, and 
essentially, it's a different show to what a lot of people were expecting. Yeah. And some people loved it, and some people was like, they, they were like, she's reinvented the live form. Whereas others were like, no, this was dreadful, and I'm annoyed by what I saw. Now, uh, Enemy did a kind of a catch-all of this, like getting like tweets and all this kind of crap, and like showing the, the polarizing reaction that people had. And then their writer finished the this kind of news story, I suppose, by throwing in his own two cents. And just based on what you said there, Craig, I want to just read out these paragraphs. Yeah. He says, The truth is that it was a total triumph, referring to the show. Allow us to hop the fence and join those fawning over Annie Clark's bravery. Here stands the closest thing that our generation has to David Bowie. While David Jones, Craig's head is in his hands, while David Jones used Bowie as a vehicle and canvas for his fluid and restless ideas, so has Clark with St. Vincent. On her third record, Strange Mercy, she played the housewife on Barbiturates and White Wine. After embarking on her funk-fueled android adventure with David Byrne, she returned on her breakthrough self-titled record as a near-future cult leader. Uh, now she set herself up as the dominatrix at the mental institution, using her seductive performance to present a stark and surreal reflection of the absurdity of the modern age. In a world where too many play it safe, she thrives on uncertainty with a risk that pays off. She stripped away the excess but maximized the spectacle and stands tall as a singular and powerful force. She's the icon that we need, even if we don't know it yet. Now, that's an awful lot. Is she t- also the Batman? There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Silent Protector, A Dark Knight. Now, that's an awful lot to throw out, especially at the start of, uh, of an album review, and I don't want to try and, you know, be too influenced by that. But what I would say is there's an awful lot of stuff hanging around this album before you even get to the album. Like, you know, her, the imagery, the campaign, the album cover, which I fucking hate. And, yeah, so I generally am not terribly into St. Vincent. I saw her open for the National in 2007 when she was in timid folk artist mode, and I wasn't impressed then. I thought the self-titled album was good, but not amazing. The David Byrne stuff, she's, you know, she's the torch was passed, and she's hailed. And I don't want to use such almost, you know, annoyingly reductive words at these age, like pretentious and overrated, but unfortunately, that's kind of how I feel. She leaves me cold, mm-hmm. and maybe that's the point. I don't know. So I came to this record with a bit of hesitation and a bit of reticence, and when I heard Pills, the song that we've heard there, my heart fucking sank, because I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, I hate this song. And the more I listened to the album, the more that cynicism melted away. But ultimately, I came away from this record feeling that she, and this maybe works for someone who is good at performance art and, you know, like her current tour looks like an art installation. I mean, this just felt like somebody hitting the marks and doing all of the right things and, you know, connecting with the character. And I believe everything that she is saying on this record, I believe she believes it. But I felt nothing. I felt zero emotion. I didn't care. And I thought I was inert and cold. And I just, I don't know what I'm missing. Yeah, um, I think at this point it should be um, pointed out that she worked very closely with Jack Antonoff on this. And he, you know, um, obviously produced it. And I think that's a, that has a big part to play in the sound and kind of the aesthetic of this whole record. And I'm a big fan. I was really looking forward to this record. Um, the self-titled, there were some problems with it. And I think she's always had problems in terms of, I don't want to be that guy that's always like rearranging albums. But with sequencing and just pacing and the flow of actually putting a record together, she's never quite nailed it. So I was thinking, okay, maybe this is the time she creates that, you know, that flowing record. But yeah, um, I couldn't connect. It was totally what you were saying. Um, I really wanted to. I wanted to like it. Where there were songs on the last record, the likes of I Pray Your Love, um, Prince Johnny, and Johnny crops up again here. There were some like towering songs that really connected with me. Her voice is good on this one, 
Well, I don't really care about anything she's saying, and I sometimes don't think she does either. Um, I don't agree. I don't agree. Uh, going back to the live show controversy in a second, it's the same as The Knife, right? Remember they're shaking the habitual show? People yeah. were completely polarised down the middle about the performance of it. I don't personally mind. Um, I don't have a ticket for this weekend, but I'd go see her, sure. Um, yeah, I'm really surprised by what you've both said. I think my problem with St. Vincent, and I've just kind of realised this this week, is her way with melody. She doesn't have a way with melody. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of sh- like really strung out notes, and she's she doesn't. It's barely singing. It's barely above spoken word, you know. And I think when you're trying to cross over into a kind of a more a popular realm, you need you need that. You need melody. You can't just rely on people to focus purely on the words. I mean, when I've listened very intently, if you listen to a song like New York or Los Angeles or Savior or I mean, I think there's a load of great songs in this. I, I really like it. I obviously like it a lot more than uh, you two do. But um, I think it just it just lacks that something that really kind of puts it over the top. That, that's kind of what prevents me from um, loving her rather than admiring New her. New York is a great example to use because, I mean, the more I listen to that song, the more I'm like, this has all of the elements, all of the narrative structure, all of the subject matter, all of the... Who is she talking about? Is it about Bowie? Is it about Cara Delevingne? Is it about neither of those? You know, it has all of the lived-in charms and qualities of a song that a song like this should have, mm. and mm. yet I just don't. I'm with care. you there. I'm with you there because I listen to it sometimes. I'm like, this is really great, and then I watch the Jules Holland performance. I'm like, fuck off. I don't want to. No, well, I think like it's. Yeah, it's there half the time. I think your point about her way with melody is kind of spot on because I was thinking, God, I I I keep I keep hearing. <clears throat> these newer songs and referencing back to other stuff she's done and she is quite samey in terms of she's not a great melody writer actually I'm I'm kind of coming to realise and a song like New York and Happy Birthday Johnny there is a kind of weird remove going on or something like it's almost like a theatrical thing that probably says a lot about the live show and what she's going for and this kind of like art poppy thing that doesn't set the scene for these kind of supposedly emotional outpourings so it, it just kind of falls flat and where they're placed as well, like Happy Birthday, Johnny, they sit in between these kind of more glam electro songs that really only serves to undermine and cut up everything else that's going on. It's it's a real mishmash. And I was also thinking, you know, I don't think the Jack Antonoff production, I mean, I, I don't think she's cynical whatsoever. I think she's really into this popular end of thing at the moment. And she's just like, this is the aesthetic she wanted to go for. I don't think it serves her writing whatsoever. I think it boxes her in. Uh, we don't get a huge amount of her, you know, inventive guitar. We get kind of splashes of it here and there, which are usually high marks. But yeah, it just doesn't sit right. Often, often, right? Her melody often apes her guitar lines. And yeah. it really works on the guitar. It doesn't work for the melody. Sure. And I don't know, I've just figured that out. That's just come to me. Like this week, I thought, there's just something keeping me apart from loving this artist. Anyway, Jack Antonoff. I have a big problem with him. Because there's a song on this album called "Fear the Future" and it's Drek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You heard this one? It sounds like I don't know how it sounds like. Let's do a tribute to Imagine Dragons. <laughs> it says a lot about me that that's one of the ones I liked. Um, Young uh, Lover's dreadful as well. Young Lover's terrible. <laughs> I think. Okay, that's the one that's about Cara Delevingne, right? I guess Probably. so. I mean, like, I, I, so. I don't think it matters. Like, I just, I, I, I found that song really no, patronizing, no, okay. actually. Well, here's the thing. Okay, look, I mean, like, young, lo- yeah. yeah. I went, just like, oh, those kids are crazy. She has no hooks. I want hooks. <laughs> I went know? to a gig a, few, a couple weeks ago, okay? And after the gig was over, my friend ended up talking to somebody outside the gig. And 
I was like, you know, doing that thing where you stand and you wait for the conversation to finish before you head off. And the person she was talking to, I just thought was this rude prick who was really into himself and like just really obvious about it. And I was just like, Jesus, I could just see it in him. And I was like, fucking hell. On the way home, I thought about him for a brief second and I just thought, that guy's not interesting. And that was like my biggest takeaway was like that person who loves themselves is not interesting. I'm not saying St. Vincent loves herself, but I don't think she's interesting. And I read this never ending New Yorker profile that ran late August. I don't know if you guys have read it. I read the BuzzFeed one. Longer than fucking most thesis. It just wouldn't end. And I mean, the more I read it, the more I was just like, it in itself was quite fawning in places. And I just think that there's this thing now, there's this like movement or something, whether it's critical or whether it's fan based or both that we're so desperate, you know, to have new icons and to have people in our lifetime that we can look to as our, as the new Bowie and as the new Leonard Cohen and as the new Prince. And to, to mention Prince briefly, the times on this record when the guitar does spike, uh, it remind I was like, that sounds like Prince. I mean, like, I, I think she's a wonderful guitarist. I mean, yeah. like, and, and I think that these arguments that she isn't should just go away because she's fucking brilliant at that. Yeah, she's She's a brilliant performer. She really is. And, and like, But like, this is too much performance art for me. Have you so, seen her live? Never. And I hear live, she's incredible. I um, saw her at Electric Picnic a few years ago, and I didn't like it. Okay. I, 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 see, there you go. Polarizing. I mean, I, I've heard very mixed things. But, like, I just think that at the moment, I think that this is overblown. I think the, the reaction to this record as well, I mean, like, like nines and tens, and, like, album yeah, well, of the year, well, and it's I've not. Heard... It blatantly clearly isn't. This is a really problematic record in terms of, you know, like, uh, the sequencing uh, alone, which I agree with yeah, you, Craig. It's... it's so stop-start. You can never get into it fully. And I don't think this is a thing where it's like, oh, you know, this kind of... A unique singular artist who is you know kind of marching to the beat of her own drum and that's threatening for some people to to listen to and you know it's tough i don't agree uh, i I love challenging music it's one of the reasons why i'm such a big converge fan i i find absolute beauty in their absolute chaos and i know some people just listen to them and they just hear noise and you know i i, I like to con- consider myself a critic who does go beyond the surface levels and stuff, but I think this album is all surface. I think it's all barriers. I don't think it's good, and I just I don't get it. And I I really think we need to stop with this fucking new Bowie thing. No matter who it is, I, I understand the needs that people have and the kind of want. I mean, we all want to stumble stumble upon someone that's going to mean the world to us. But I think it's a New York thing. I think New York is looking for a new icon. Sure, yeah. Bowie's gone. Um, I mean. <laughs> Fucking hell, we're already eulogizing the strokes in what was it, Lizzie Goodman's book. It's yeah, been a long yeah, time yeah. since New York has been relevant. And she I can people are willing her to be this figurehead, to be this totem of New York music in twenty seventeen. And I think it started with that last record, with St. Vincent. I mean, you saw the first time I saw the publicity shots, there she is on a big throne with her massive her white hair. hair. I mean, she looks amazing. And that it's enemy art, that enemy movie. article is right. She does look like a cult leader or like a sci fi, <laughs> yeah. you know, alien. I mean and that's a lot to live up to. You know, you, you present this aesthetic, you just present this image, you have this very controlled, very chic, very um, very certain view of yourself and what you want to present to the world, and you make people want to follow you, you know? Mm. And the music isn't quite at that level for me. Now, I like this more than you two. I, I think I've said this, and I think, um, I think it's a very good album. I would give it, you know, well, it gets the ratings at the end, but it's just not quite it can't quite fill the vacuum that people want it to. I think it's uh, I think it's all dressed up with nowhere to go. It's a 5.5 for me. Yeah, like I think there's components there and like a song like Saviour where I actually like the kind of ro- robotic funk that's going on. And I love like, Saviour. Yeah. 
it's got it's bursting with ideas. I mean, it's got that really coy, suggestive riff at the start. At the start, it sounds like Midnight Vultures, yeah, yeah. or something from the seventies. And then when it lifts on the chorus, and then it's great. you know that celestial kind of refrain at the end and the lap steel, it's wonderful. It's but, packed with ideas. Favorite song. And I I really like those components, but somehow they just kind of jostle against each other. And I actually think that's a kind of you know symptomatic of the whole record as a whole. So there's some interesting stuff here, but yeah, it left me really cold. Uh, it's five for me I'm going to say eight oof eight massive yeah okay and that's up from a 7.5 because you two were so down Uh, (laughs) come on come on come on I'm rounding up rounding up is it a 7.5 it's are you do you want it to be an eight I think I think there's enough flaws I mean the melody thing is such a big thing. Well, then it can't be an eight. It's seven point five. Then yeah. there you go. But this is—I don't think it's like, oh well, she's just you know, it's it's totally Emperor's New Clothes because I love that last record. I was listening to it this week, and the songs are there. Um, so like, I was just like, am I imagining it? Like, I just think this is a real misstep. I, I'm disappointed um, because the last record for me was an eight point five. So yeah, he's not mad. He's disappointed, <laughs> and I'll still hold that hope. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I don't come out St. Vincent with any kind of degree of cynicism. I wish I was fucking, <coughs> you know, having the same wonderful experience that a lot of people are. I think she's a very interesting artist, but as a songwriter on this record, not so interesting. What, what else? What's your favorite album of hers? Of hers, yeah. Um, it's probably the self-titled one, but I don't love it. You know what right, I mean? Right. See, I don't. I'm not a big fan of the first three. Like. Like, St. Vincent was the one that kind of really... Everyone keeps telling me that the third one is the best. Like, mm. Strange Mercy, is it? Yeah, yeah Strange like, Mercy is... It's probably the strongest in terms of cohesive whole of an album. But I actually prefer I don't, the I don't high points of... I the same sequencing issues. Sequencing issues okay. you, yeah, well, I, I am a bit of a weird obsessive about that stuff. We all stuff have our point. flaws. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I and guess, I can rearrange them all. <laughs> well, in the other listening section of the show, you could go back and listen to all St. Vincent's records. Maybe I will do that, but I probably won't, because what I have been doing instead is something very geeky altogether, but I'm very excited, man, because it's almost time for the best time of the year. Not Christmas, but end-of-year lists. I love it. Yay. I live for it. It's great. <laughs> we will. <laughs> Craig's a big fan. We will obviously be doing a roundup at the end of the year no encore of course but I did a thing last weekend where I basically went through all of the albums released so far this year and that I've heard and I put them in this kind of you know good to great long list and I came away with like 63 different releases uh, and I have about 9 or 10 locks for my top 10 so we'll see what else happens in the rest of the year I also did a thing where I was like albums I have to catch up on and I also did a thing where I was like worst albums of the year I have 7 by the way 7 worst albums is of Arcade year. Fire one of them? it is oh. <laughs> do you like the Arcade Fire album? I haven't listened to it I don't I care about it it's really bad like it's really bad so uh, I've there's been ca- a tiny bit that sounds like ABBA and one song is good that was the lead single Everything Now which is I guess alright but yeah. you know mostly it's pretty terrible the point that I'm struggling to make is that I have been catching up with some stuff that I, you know, for one reason or another didn't get to, and there's been some good and some bad, and, and that's been very interesting. But the one that has stood out the most to me so far, what I would say, because uh, we never talked about this on the show before, is Kay Flay, her album. It's called Everywhere Is Somewhere. It was put out in April. Ain't that the very truth? truth. Kay yeah. Flay, Everywhere Is Somewhere, give that a go if you have How do you spell that, Dave? Uh, the album title or no, her? her name. Oh, like K.F.L.A.Y. Okay. And yeah, so check it out. But uh, I've also listened to, as recommended by a friend of the show, David Higgins, Bats, Irish album Bats, or Irish band oh, Bats from back in the day. A Kurt Ballou of Converge produced record called Red in Tooth and Claw, which for whatever reason, That's I just... a metal album. Yeah, that it's a metal album. I never heard it before, and it's fucking great. It really kind of like, you know, jazzed up my energy on a day like today. Great. Oh, cool. um, well, considering it's becoming decided, decidedly wintry, that's always the time I start re-listening to The Good, The Bad and The Queen, self-titled record. Oh, yeah. Which is 
terrific. Ten years old this year. Yeah. Oh my, God, that's terrifying. Is it? Yeah. 2007. Yeah. Oh my God. This is Damon Albarn's uh, yeah. third supergroup. <laughs> yeah, with Paul Simon and, yeah. and uh, was Joe um, Wobble in it? Tony Allen. Tony Allen. And um, the dude out of the Verve <laughs> that played Rhythm. Oh What's his name? Can never think of his wow, name. Wow, that's really letting down the. Well, he's fantastic. <laughs> and uh, no, it's, it's. I think it contains some of Damon Albarn's best songwriting. Hercules. Um, yeah, uh, there's incredible the stuff on it. Song. So yeah, check that out if you haven't heard it before. It's brilliant. Um, I went to see Grizzly Bear recently, and I hadn't yeah. listened to the album beforehand. So um, the I've new listened, one, yeah, Morning. What's it called? Painted Ruins. Pa- Painted Ruins. Yeah. It's got Morning Sound on it. That's it. Um, some really good songs on it. I really like Three Rings, yeah. but um, I mean, but it's kind of uh, it's not as good as uh, Vicadimist or Shield. So I've been listening to that with a good helping of those two albums yeah. in there as well. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you, George and Craig, for coming in today. No thank you, David. We'll be back next a blast. week with uh, Colm. I believe a freshly suntanned Colm Regan will join us next week. Alongside, we're bringing in our, uh, our roving recorder, ro- roving reporter rather from the cold, David Anthony Tapley of Tandem Felix will be in the studio. Oh, I'm Woo! excited. Woo! <laughs> no, he's got the voice. Not here. <laughs> oh, let's cut that out. No, no, no. Leave it in. Like, leave right. it in. So to close us out. New Irish music, as always. Emma Langford, we have featured her on the show before. She put out her album, Quiet Giant, the other day, the other week, I think it was. Uh, I'm really behind on new stuff, so I apologise, Emma. Uh, ten tracks set against a stunning backdrop of strings, percussion, and piano. The songs dance lightly between genres, weaving a coming-of-age narrative that explores love, heartbreak, and wrestling with self-doubt. And who among us cannot relate to that? So I'm going to play an Emma Langford song. This is Emma Langford. The song is called Sandman. My name is Dave Hanrady. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And I can't wait for Colm to hear how ramshackle this episode turned out in his absence. See ya.
Stuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.